sharper iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 22nd, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-11. to In today's text, St. Paul rebukes the Corinthian Christians for their practice of suing each other in civil courts, calling them out of such unrighteousness and into the holiness that God has given them in Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's good to be back. Pastor Preuss, talk to us about 1 Corinthians and any context we need to know leading up into chapter 6. Yeah, so Paul is writing to saints. Uh, He calls them saints. Uh, But he's also writing to a congregation that that is suffering from a lot of factions. And, you know, he starts off with the problem that there are divisions among them. Some say that they follow Paul. Some say they follow Peter. Some say they follow Paulus. Some say they follow Jesus. Um, so that kind of reminds me of sort of your non-denoms, you know? Well, I just believe what Jesus says. Um, That's right. And, uh, but then they ironically turn it into a sect. Uh, so, and, and he's teaching them to be of one mind. And of one judgment, and that word judgment, uh, the the word there is uh, uh, was it crineo? I don't have, or is it crino? Uh, I think it's just crino. But... Just crino, yeah, crino. Uh, that word is used so often throughout First Corinthians in different ways. So you you have you have it used sometimes it's translated as 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 judge. Sometimes it's translated as uh, condemn, uh, and uh, it might be translated depending on your translation as like scrutinize or examine or something like that. And Paul is teaching the Christians to think like Christians. So, as he says near the beginning of the epistle, he says, "We have the mind of Christ, and so we are to think as Christians. We don't think the way that the world thinks." Uh, this echoes what he says in Romans 12, that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can discern uh, what is pleasing to God and not be conformed to the world uh, because we're saints, we're set apart. And so we think differently. And this is what it means to be free, to have Christian freedom, is that uh, we are not, uh, we're, we're not driven to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're not like mules and horses that that need a bit and a bridle, uh, otherwise they won't come to you. Uh, but through the forgiveness of sins that is given to us freely in Christ, uh, by God who judges, who will judge the living and the dead, we have the freedom to think like Christians. And so this is what Paul's trying to teach. He's trying to teach them how to do this, and. He says, you know, for example, in chapter four, he says, this is how you should consider us is ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
And he says, it's a very little thing for me to be judged by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. He says, I don't, and then, and then, and then uh, he says, God judges me. He says, don't judge anything before the time when the Lord brings things to light. Uh, and, and then uh, he goes on in chapter five to talk about a judgment that they don't want to make in their own congregation, which is a guy who is having an affair with his stepmom. And so, so, so the, this is kind of the irony is that when you're, when you're not thinking like a Christian, if you, and you don't want to judge like a Christian, then you're going to end up not judging the things that you should judge and then judging the things that you shouldn't judge. And, you know, this is so when Jesus says, don't judge lest be judged, well, he's actually teaching you how to judge. And so we find here Paul taking up the teaching of our Lord Jesus and applying it in a very pastoral way to this congregation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing up that last part of chapter five because we didn't have as much time as we would have liked to to talk about that particular part of the text. But I like the way that you said it. If if we don't have the mind of Christ, then we end up reversing the way that we should judge. That we end up judging the things that we shouldn't and not judging the things that we should. And that thought of judgment, I do think, is is really what we need to keep in mind as we look at this text, because on the one hand, you know, chapter five seems very, very serious. You've got, as you said, the man who's committing adultery with his stepmother, and now we're going to talk about suing in court, and those two topics don't seem all that related until you put it in that context of judgment, and that's what really binds these two chapters, or these two sections together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you know, Paul's, uh, Paul's discourse, <clears throat> you can see, is actually resembling the the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so Jesus, uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter five, he, you know, he starts off with the Beatitudes, which is, uh, which is, you know, just a wonderful, uh, a, a, a section, uh, explaining what a saint is. Uh, and then he goes on to apply the law and, and he's not satisfied simply with the letter of the law, but he's getting to what we might call the spirit of the law or the weightier matters of the law, as he calls it, or the, the true equitable uh, application of the law. So it's not enough that you don't murder someone, but don't even be, don't be angry with someone. Where does it start? It starts in the heart. As God said to, to Cain, sin is crouching at the door when he was angry with his brother Abel. And uh, the same thing with sexual immorality. It, it begins in the heart. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. And so this is what Paul is doing is he's he's taking the teachings of Jesus and applying them. And so, you know, you you consider how how Jesus speaks about when you're when if you if you if you're going to go worship God and then you find that your brother has something against you, you need to go be reconciled. There's an urgency to that. And so what when we talk about judgment and Paul is talking about judgment what is on the horizon the entire time is the judgment of God. And that's what we're going to get to in our, in our pericope for today, uh, is uh, all of this becomes very, very relevant uh, 
and uh, very pressing when you consider that God is the judge. Um, so, you know, and that's something that we should consider. Also, you know, he, he talks about this in, uh, was it Romans 12, but do not avenge yourself. Uh, yeah. But because uh, as, as, as God says in, in Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine. Vengeance belongs to God. Uh, but he, it's interesting what he says. He says, leave room for God's wrath. So it's not that you are not to judge. You, you shouldn't avenge yourself, but that doesn't mean that there's no vengeance. There is vengeance, but it's just vengeance, and it's carried out from God. Uh, as the Proverbs say, uh, many seek the face of a ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. And as Christians, we should know that, uh, that we have, we, we have as our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not fulfill some positive law of justice. He didn't fulfill just some simple uh, civil requirement, but he fulfilled the weightier matters of the law. He fulfilled the spirit of the law. And that's our righteousness by which we stand by faith before God. Uh, so we should live that way. We should pursue that in our lives um, and act as if we are covered by the judgment of Christ's righteousness, his equitable judgment uh, in his, his, his merciful forgiveness and salvation. Mm, yeah, yeah. All, all those things that you're bringing up, I mean, go back to the foundation that Paul has laid up to this point, particularly there in chapter one with what God's wisdom and what God's power is and how it's fully seen and revealed in Christ crucified, which is what Paul's been preaching. And so, uh, like we mentioned with the previous text, there is an action that needs to be taken here just like in chapter 5, there was an action that needed to be taken. The church needs to purge the evil person from among them. In chapter 6, they're going to need to stop suing each other in civil courts. Paul wants that action to happen, but it doesn't happen outside of that fuller context and that theological foundation, which is Christ and him crucified being united in his mind and judgment. And, and that's what really sets this apart from just a, here's what you need to do sort of letter. Yeah, and... Real quick, just to just to go back to say one more thing here um, before we jump into our text about First Corinthians five, Paul brings up the Lord's Supper uh, in First Corinthians five, and he talks about the the the, the festival of the unleavened bread um, that our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, um, and and let us partake of the festival of unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, of not not of malice um, and deceit. Um, and, and, and so he connects the Lord's Supper to the communion that we share in the, the table of our Lord is, is connected to this, this, uh, this life that we have together where we make judgments together. We judge ourselves and we judge those within the body. We don't waste our time with those outside, uh, uh, judging those outside of the church. God's going to judge them. And if you are given the office uh, in the civil realm to do that, then yeah, you carry it out. But within the church, that that uh, our concern is to is our concern of making right judgments. It culminates in our communion together as we confess the Lord's death until He comes. And so, you know, looking ahead to First Corinthians eleven, what does He say right after He talks about uh, you know the Lord's Supper and eating worthily, recognizing the body of Christ? Um, both in the in the bread, um, but but also mystically, 
around you with your with your fellow redeemed. And he says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. God God chastises us. God judges us um, to keep us from being judged or condemned with the rest of the world. Uh, so there's that great theme of being set apart um, for this for this common confession and a common judgment. And that goes that go, that all goes back to First Corinthians one ten. Uh, whenever I teach on closed communion, um, I don't start with First Corinthians eleven. I go to First Corinthians one verse ten, where he where that that really sets it up for the entire epistle. So. So anyway, we could go yep. down tons of bunny trails on that, but <laughs> that's right. So let's let's go ahead and turn to the text more specifically, and then see where that what rabbit trails that takes us down. So First Corinthians, chapter six, beginning at verse one. When one of you has a grievance against one another or against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you? Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is our text for today. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. So, Pastor Preuss, we've mentioned it a couple times. This is especially talking about lawsuits, suing each other in civil courts. I mean, help us just to understand the the context, what's going on that Paul is speaking pretty strongly against here in this section. Yeah, I mean, he's building on what what he has just uh, finished talking about. Uh, on the one hand, they have a man in their congregation who is who's who's living. Uh, contrary to God's word, uh, openly and manifestly, and it reminds me of uh, the story of uh, of Baal and Peor, uh, where the the people of Israel, the men of Israel, take concubines uh, from from Moab, and uh, and they're shamelessly taking them, and and God sends a plague, and a guy just takes his takes uh, uh, this Moabite woman into his tent, just right in the open in front of everyone. And Phineas, uh, who's given uh, uh, the authority by God to bring judgment, you know, throws a spear uh, in his zeal. And that you have that, you can, you, can, you can hear this, you can really feel the tension in Paul's words right at the beginning when he says, do you dare go to court with the heathen? So, so he, he's, he's, he's building on 
that theme of how shameful this is, that you would dare do that. Um, that that this is, uh, you know, it, it goes back to what he says in chapter five, like your boasting is not good, right? He, he's teaching them to humble themselves. It's not just that they've slipped into some problems here. It's that it's open. It's right out there in the open and they're they're refusing to deal with it. And so now here, there isn't anything more public than bringing your brother to court. Anyone can look it up, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's recorded. That's the whole point of it. There's no such thing as a private suit. You have plea, I guess you have like, um, what do they call those? Uh, uh, hush money or whatever i don't know um a gag there could be like gag orders yeah 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 so but but when you're but a suit a civil suit is by definition public and this gets to again the whole point of this epistle is that you are to be of one mind in word and in judgment it is a when you take the lord's supper you are confessing christ publicly it's not me and jesus time no it's a public confession it is you and jesus but with the saints so this that you 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 have this just you know the, the only other the other time that 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 i can think of paul being showing such emotion and such uh uh you know really disgust is uh in galatians where he says who has bewitched you or he says at the very beginning, uh, I was trying to, uh, uh, I'm trying to learn German. He says, mich wundert, you know, I, I'm amazed that you so quickly have, have, have turned from the gospel. And so he's speaking in very, very strong words. Do you dare to go and do this? Um, because this is not where our life is found. Our, our, this goes this this hits at the heart of the central article of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Our righteousness is not in the law. It, it, it's, it's, it's not even in it's not even in the ceremonial law, let alone the civil law. You're gonna and so so the you know the, the, the Gentiles know the law by nature, even though it's 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 muddled by their own sin. But to to take to seek retribution from a fellow Christian uh, 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 with the civil court is to deny the righteousness that avails before God, the righteousness that is only received by faith. Uh, You cannot accomplish the righteousness uh, by which we will be judged and judged to be righteous uh, and, and innocent. So it's totally thrown away the hope of what we have. And so this is why Paul is so urgent here. This isn't just that Paul hates this particular sin, but that he see he gets he 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 sees what is so egregious about it. You know. So this, I remember it's it's the same thing with like with like sexual sin. I remember uh, when um, when I I used to work at a at at a restaurant uh, in a kitchen, which is filled with. Um, you know, a lot of unbelievers. Um, and, uh, and one guy was, was saying, why is it the Christians are all so down on sexual sins? I said, because it's a sin against the body. And your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We eat the body and blood of our Lord. 
You know, this is urgent. So it's the same thing here. Why is he so ticked off about this? Because you're denying the righteousness that avails before God. <laughs> for, for, for what? For a temporal righteousness? For being right? For being proven right by some pagan who doesn't even care about Jesus? So it's like, yeah, congratulations. You have your reward, um, as Jesus says about the hypocrites. Yeah. So if you, if you yeah. win your battle in court, fine. But you haven't won anything before the tribunal of God. Yeah, no, that, that really sets the stage well for how he argues in this section. How does what he says about the, the fact that Christians will judge the angels and, and judge the world, how does, how does that fit into this, this section? Yeah, again, he sounds like Jesus, doesn't he? Uh, it reminds me of uh, yesterday I was just uh, teaching in catechism class. I was having the kids read uh, portions of the Gospels that talk about the, the, the Lord's Supper recovering the sacrament of the altar uh, right now. And uh, you know, the, I want them to get to the context. What's the context going on? Christ is about to be handed over to the world uh, by his own people. Uh, and, and, and in Luke, uh, Luke 22, you have right after the Lord's Supper, they get into an argument about who's the greatest. And Matthew records this back in Matthew 18. <laughs> and, you know, I guess they're still arguing about this. And Jesus talks about what the Gentiles do. The Gentiles practice this kind of lordship over one another. They call themselves benefactors right? You got beneficiaries and benefactors, and that's how they operate. Um, he said, that's not how it is among you. If you want to be the oldest, be the youngest. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. And, and, and this, this urgency, uh, you know, I was going somewhere. What did you ask? I was just thinking of something. How the, the matter of the saints being those who will judge the world and yeah, judge the angels. Yeah, so then what Jesus says to them is he says, you guys are going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so he puts it in perspective. They're sitting there ac asking who's the greatest. It's like, you're going to be sitting on, on thrones. I mean, my goodness. You have, you have everything that's going to be given you, given to you. It's like when I see my kids uh, fighting over uh, you know, some stupid toy or a piece of candy you know, especially around Halloween, although I don't think I saw them fighting over candy uh, the, the last couple of days. <laughs> but yet. right right before we're about to eat, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of like, you know, and I'll, I'll do this with my kids. My, 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 my parents would do this with me, especially my older brothers. My brother Christian would do this with me. Like, really? Are you serious? You know, it's like, think about it. What are, you're being so ridiculously petty. Yeah, it's like Jesus is saying, I am about to bring the end of ages down to earth in my flesh, reconciling all things to God. And you're and, and I'm going to give you everything. And you're fighting over who's the greatest? Get a life. Are you kidding me? And that's that's that is this this judgment of the angels that Paul's doing the same thing. You guys are gonna judge the angels. And and that's you know. I, I know we don't get to pick, but sometimes I feel a little bit like John and James or James and John. You know, I understand them. You know, I, 
because I kind of, I will, I will judge whichever angel God wants me to judge. But the angel or the demon who is, uh, who, who, who's responsible for getting people to love the, the popular righteousness of the world and of civil righteousness more than the righteousness of the heart, uh, uh, which, is, which is only in Christ Jesus and uh, through faith in his promise. I want to judge that angel. There's probably a bunch of them, but I want to judge that angel. And the, like the, 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 the angel that, that, that uh, you know, like the transgender angel, you know? But I can let someone else have that angel. That angel is probably not, you know, it's going to be a pretty easy one. But I, 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 I at least want to be there and see whoever, whoever gets to just be part of that, you know? I mean, we're, there's tons of demons. I mean, you think about it. There are demons everywhere. I, was, I watched uh, over Reformation. We, uh, my wife and I watched that awesome Luther movie from the 50s. It's great. I really like it. It's not perfect. But, but the one thing at the very beginning where they're like, this is a time when paganism was mixed in with the church, which is true. There was a lot of paganism mixed in with all the praying to saints and stuff. And they said, and they believed, that, they believed that demons were everywhere. And I was like, well, but that is true. Demons are everywhere. There are tons of demons and there'll be plenty of demons to go around on judgment day. Don't worry. And you're going to be able to judge them and you're going to have wisdom because when Christ, your life appears, you will be like him. So don't worry about what you will say. He'll give you the words. You'll know exactly what to say. And think about that's wonderful to look forward to that, to be able to use your mind in the most sanctified way, perfectly sanctified and clearly articulating precisely what these demons who, who, who led people to, uh, astray and murdered souls at the devil's whim, and we get to judge them. Why are we wasting our time judging our, our, trying to get the heathen who can't even tell a boy from a girl to, to, to judge our brethren? That's just insane. It's nuts. So anyway, I could yeah. go on and on about it. Well, I think the thing that that's the most helpful within the context, both of chapter five and this chapter, is that focus on the end times. That again, as you said from the outset, we're we're thinking about the judgment of God that's coming on Judgment Day, especially, and with that in view, and knowing how God will judge us righteous on that day, how He's already judged us righteous right now through faith in Christ, that sets things in the right perspective. So let's keep that perspective as we move into our break, and we'll pick it up more on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andrew Preuss this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 22nd. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, uh, prior to the break, we, we made it to the point where Paul says in verse 5 that he is saying these things to the shame of the Corinthians. Talk about that. Yeah, so <laughs> they're boasting. Uh, this goes back to their boasting. Um, but this is shameful. Um, and the thing about shame, shame is different from guilt. Um, guilt is from God. Uh, shame is something that's out in the open. Uh, so even if you are, don't, you know, even if you uh, 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 don't feel guilty, guilt is still there. Uh, you know, guilt is an objective thing, which actually is important because, because it's the same thing with peace with God, right? So even when you don't fully feel the peace with God through faith in Christ, well, it's an objective peace. It's peace that he made by his blood. But shame is something different. Shame is something that, that has to do with, with what's out in the open. Um, and so we want to cover the shame of our, of our fellow uh, believers, right? Uh, if a pastor, for example, uh, falls into disgrace, um, theft or adultery or something like that uh we want him to be led to repentance uh but in order to protect him as well as others we don't have him continue to be a pastor right um so that that's the the, the goal there is to cover up shame and 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 so to like i said before to drag someone to court is a public thing so if you if you're doing that You've already lost. Even if you win, you know, you've already lost. And, uh, uh, you know, and so he's so so the point that he's he's trying to get them to think about the judgment and the judgment where, I mean, everything it's like naked. I came into this world naked. Will I go out? We will be naked before the Lord. I mean, that's something that we should really think about. We'll be naked before him. We'll have nothing to cover us. Cover, cover, cover us with, um, and as that wonderful Gerhard hymn goes, um, uh, with thee it's uh, uh, Lord, Lord, when thy glory I shall see yeah. and taste thy kingdom's pleasure, uh, thy royal blood my robe shall be, or my, thy blood my royal robe shall be, uh, my joy, joy beyond, beyond all measure. measure. Uh, when I appear before your throne, your righteousness shall be my crown. With these, I need not hide me, right? I don't need to hide myself if I have these things. And that, so, so, we, so our shame is covered up by Christ. It's not covered up by the things of this world. And so that's why he says, he says this to their shame. And if you, if you bring someone to court and you think, oh, well, I'm going to get them, 
I'm going to make right what I think needs to be made right. And according to the standard of righteousness that I have figured out for myself, and it might even partly be based on some reading of the word of God, you've already lost. No matter what the outcome is at court, you've already lost. Yeah, yeah. Now he says then, as he continues in his his conversation here with the Corinthians, he says, uh, saying it to their shame, is there nobody among you that's wise enough? We have that word for wisdom, which was a key in chapter one. It's going to be important later. Talk about the the what he's looking for here. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus is our wisdom, right? Um, the word of the cross is is folly to those who are perishing, um, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. And uh, part of that wisdom then in a practical sense is, again, thinking like a Christian, thinking with the mind of Christ. And here, Paul is anticipating what he's going to talk about in chapter 12, uh, where he talks about the different gifts that, are, that, that exist, uh, that, that are given by the Holy Spirit among the members of the body of Christ. And some people are given that gift of wisdom. So he doesn't say, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't say, uh, uh, you're all, you guys should all like vote on it. Um, and, you know, he, 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 he says, is there not a wise man among you? Now go again, think about what Jesus says in Matthew 28 or sorry, Matthew 18. I'm a very mission minded person. So I just immediately say Matthew 28. Um, so Matthew 18, uh, he says, if your brother has, if you, if your brother has sinned against you, go to him first. And if you won't listen, you bring someone else. Well, who should you bring? Bring a wise, understanding, equitable uh, brother, right? Sit down and talk it through. Don't insist on your own way. Don't set uh, the, 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 the conditions for, for the meeting. Just go and talk it through. And and submit to the the the, the law of love, uh, and 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 as Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to point the speck out in your brother's eye. So that's not to say your brother doesn't have a speck in his eye. And so so Paul isn't Paul isn't saying I, it does. I don't care about your disputes. He's not saying these disputes don't matter. He's saying deal with them. Pick someone who's wise, who who actually can uh, help you through this. Some are given this wisdom. Some aren't given as much of this practical wisdom. We're all given wisdom in Christ. He is our wisdom. And together, is, as his body, we have the mind of Christ. But some are, are able to help out more than others. We'll use them. And I think sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot with a kind of false humility where, you know, we might say, well, I'm just not, I'm not wise. I'm not competent. Or are you just too cowardly to, to sit down and actually work it through? Think of, I mean, think of how many times as pastors we have to deal with the, 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 the really sad state of divorce of, of, of couples going through divorce or approaching divorce. And often what have they done? Before they even come to you, they've already filed the papers. And even if they haven't done that, 
the it's 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 still like that it, that's where their minds are just kind of being drawn and that what they're doing is they're taking their spouse to court and we should avoid that god hates that and 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 instead we should sit down and talk it through and one of the hardest things for a pastor or any christian who's trying to counsel but especially for a pastor who's got to do this with people is when whether it's in marriage or any kind of dispute, when you want to sit down with both of them. Now, sometimes you got to talk to one individual and talk to the other. You know, you want to talk one-on-one. You want to mix it up a bit. Don't be like anal retentive about it, um, but be wise about it. But, but it's very difficult though when neither of them wants to face the other. And, uh, you know, this idea of facing your accuser, I mean, this goes back to the Bible. And what, because what's the goal? We all know that when you face the one who's accusing you or when you face the one you're accusing, it puts it in perspective. And, and, uh, I mean, think of how many times, just even with little things in the church, little, little mountain, little molehills that can easily turn into mountains. And then you sit and you meet and, and, uh, you listen, you, you're quick to listen, slow to speak. And, uh, you, you talk it through. And what happens? The nerves calm down, goes into perspective that we're brothers and we have the same goal or we should have the same goal and let's work it out. That is wisdom. That is, and you need, and, you, and, and part of wisdom then is, 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 is that humility to rely on someone else's wisdom uh, to, to help you through this as you all submit to Christ and to his word. Yeah. You, you mentioned the word brothers, which is a key word throughout this epistle. You said he was talking to them as saints at the beginning. He's also speaking to them as brothers in a number of cases. And that, that shows up a couple of times here in this chapter that he, he, this is brother versus brother. And this isn't, this isn't the way that a family acts. And it's certainly not the way the family of God acts. Talk about this need for reconciliation among, among the brothers in Christ. Yeah, it's urgent. It's there's it's it, we shouldn't be frantic as Christians. We should be at peace. We're at peace. Um, Paul talks about this in the next chapter about uh, when he talks about marriage and he gives the practical uh, uh, advice for marriage. And he says, God has called you to be at peace. Um, but but there is an urgency uh, to to what Paul's talking about here, and especially to reconciliation because this has to do with the reconciliation that we have with God. You can't separate these two. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or maybe to put it better, forgive us our debts as we forget forgive our debtors. Uh, we, can't, um, we can't have, uh, we can't say that we love God whom we don't see if we hate our brother whom we do see, uh, that is to be a liar. Uh, and, and so your brother is an imperfect manifestation of Jesus. But Jesus came and hid his, his, his glory and his majesty. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, not that he was sinful, but that he took on our sin and he bore our infirmities. And so it's so easy. You know, this is something that happens uh, 
it was we were talking uh, uh, before before we started here um, about how you should have had my brother Christian on um, because he wrote a really good article uh, for the CTQ. I think about a year ago is when it came out um, on suing your brother. And I would commend your listeners to that, to the Concordia Theological Quarterly. I think it's just called suing your brother. Um, and uh, uh, it might have some kind of subtitle. Anyway, um, but Christian's my older brother. And the thing about brothers, and I have a bunch of brothers. I got 10 brothers and I have a sister. And, uh, and I have many other friends and family and people I know. And it's a wonderful thing. The thing about brothers is that you know them. You, you, you know their weaknesses. You know their quirks. You know their idiosyncrasies, whatever you want to call it. And there are things that annoy you, that can easily annoy you. When you love one another, those things are just quirks and actually become even endearing. You know, um, I talk too much. Uh, but my brothers love me and they they just they they don't get mad at me like they did when we were younger. You know, we were children. We thought like children, but then we got older and we put away childish ways. Um, but if you hate your brother, then those little things amplify. Those little idiosyncrasies that you just kind of laughed off and were able to kind of talk through. And maybe if they got a little bit serious, you were able to just just work it work it out. Um, those become mountains. And that is what, you know, talking to brothers is very, uh, very instructional. Uh, because one, we are brothers in Christ. And it's not brothers and sisters. No, even the girls are brothers because we're brothers of Christ. We're heirs, we're co-heirs with him. This isn't a gender thing. This has to do with our inheritance with uh, with Christ and God. Uh, and, and, uh, and as brethren we 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 get to know each other and uh and and what binds us together is love uh that's why love is the greatest i was just teaching a bible class on this in first corinthians 13 we're going through first corinthians in our uh, ladies bible class and uh and and you know it says the the greatest of these is love you know and the roman catholic would say see love must justify it's like well you're assuming that the reason why that that's something that would justify us is some virtue within us. No, faith doesn't justify us because it's a great virtue. It justifies us because it relies on the righteousness of Christ outside of us. Love is greater than faith because love abides. Love binds us together. He's speaking to Christians about their life together and their confession uh, of Christ together. So anyway, that uh, uh, that's that's the brotherhood. Right. And that that's so urgent. There's an urgency to it. So Jesus says, if you know, quickly leave your gift at the altar and go before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then bring your gift to the altar. I remember my brother James and I got into a fight on our way to church when we were in college and the Lord's Supper was about to start. And I always sat uh, next to my wife's well, girlfriend at the time, uh, her grandfather, who was a member of that church. I always sat next to him and I'd nudge him when he fell asleep during the sermon because his wife used to do that uh, when she was alive. And James was up on the choir loft because I think he was singing in the choir or something like that. And, um, and I, but I was, I felt so horrible 
I thought, I can't go up to Lord's Supper. I'm at enmity, enmity with my brother. And I was thinking about that passage from Jesus. And I, I just thought, okay, well, could I get up during the Sanctus? When could I get up and just go and say, I'm sorry to James? And then I finally decided to get up and I started walking out. And all of a sudden there's James. And he says, Andrew, I'm sorry. And, and I said, I'm sorry. We, we shook our hands and, you know, and we just smiled at each other. And it was wonderful. And we, we, we were able to go receive with a good conscience what our Lord wants us to receive. And that is his righteousness, which binds us to God and to one another. That's what it means to be brothers. Yep. Yeah, that's a fantastic example, Pastor Preuss. Although I will say that seems really easy because, you know, you just shook hands and, and that's fine. And, and maybe you didn't win the argument, but okay. But but we're talking about like money here. My my brother, he he stole from me. And I think that's where, where Paul's, what he says next, like, wouldn't you rather be defrauded? That's where it really kind of hits us. And I'm like, well, but what about my rights, Paul? What What about... What about my money? You're just saying I should let that go? And Paul would say with Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about bird's eye view. Get the whole picture. Let's talk about heaven's eye view. Eternity's eye view. It, it isn't it, what, what the argument that my brother James and I had was uh, the, the, that was no different than the arguments that, that lead to people uh, suing their brothers and saying, oh, well, well, you got this money in the wrong way. You shouldn't have gotten this land or blah, 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 blah. It's, it all goes back to the same source. You know, that's why Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother without cause, then you deserve the same judgment as a murderer. Look at what happened with Cain. The sin began in the heart. So I call baloney. You know, oh, it's, oh, well, he, he got my money. Oh, really? So, uh, uh, you know, well, let's work it out. Are you willing to work it out? You willing to sit down and work it out and try to come to terms with, with wise Christians? You're not? Well, then you're a heathen and, uh, and you can have your reward. So it's, it, it, we shouldn't have any time for that kind of, uh, you know, we can, we can listen to it. We can talk about it. Well, maybe he did get the money in, in, a, in a wrong way. Um, you know, if it escalates to that. Um, but I mean, you're, you're still going to have to, like these quirks that led to my brothers and me arguing when we were younger, they still exist. We still have to, you know, work it out, even though we live, we all live far away and we have our own wives and which is probably a good thing. Um, so, um, but yeah, those things are still there. Um, it, it's, it, so as far as the money goes, it's like, yeah, don't be a slave to mammon. Be defrauded. Yeah. And if, it, if that's what it comes to, it's like your inheritance is in Christ. He became poor. Yeah. So that you could yeah, be rich. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, and I mean, just thinking about the 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 parable of the the two sons that Jesus tells in Luke 15, particularly the older son, like which would you which would you rather have? Would you have you want the money or do you want your brother? You know, I mean, like, and, and the way Jesus talks in Matthew eighteen, you're you're out to win your brother here, like, which which is more important. And and Paul and and the Lord both put the brother ahead of the of the money. Go ahead and lose the money, keep the brother. That's what's important. Yep. No, that's right. Exactly. And we have to yeah. learn that through experience too. Um, this is all very practical stuff. 
Yeah, for sure. Now we we're running running a little short on time here, Pastor Price. I do want to get to this last these last couple of verses, verses nine to eleven, where where Paul says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" And he he lists several examples of what that looks like, and he tells them that's what some of you were, but you were, and this is a glorious verse in verse eleven. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We've got about six and a half minutes here to, to talk about what Paul's saying here about the unrighteous not inheriting the kingdom of God, uh, and then how he he talks about the Corinthians. That's who they were, but now Christ has made them something different. Yeah, so this is, again, Paul is has in mind the judgment. Um, it, he, it, it, this is where the unrighteous are excluded from God's kingdom. And then he gives examples of this. Um, so, uh, you know, you got adulterers, fornicators, uh, uh, the, the, he mentions homosexuality. Uh, the, the, the words that he uses, two words for homosexuality. One is, is uh, uh, what the malakos, um, uh, that, that's like a soft, it's actually the same word that Jesus uses to describe uh, soft clothing when talking about how John yeah. the Baptist didn't wear soft clothing. Um, so it's kind of effeminate, you know, the effeminate. And then you have like the the ones who are anyway, I don't want to get it. It's really disgusting stuff, you know. So and right. he, he purposely brings that up um, so that in there, what does he weave in there? Covetousness, right? Mm. Idolatry, which is what covetousness is. So in 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 the the company of rank fornicators and sexual perverts and murderers and thieves you got the covetous and and that that's that's where we are uh when we say oh well uh we're all all sins are just as damnable this is not to uh uh, uh bring other sins down from how bad they are it's rather to bring ours up and 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 say yeah that thing that is clearly disgusting and uh uh you know to anyone with any kind of sense you don't have to be you don't have to be a believer to know that 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 sodomy is gross it's disgusting ugh we shouldn't even have to talk about it. paul says that it's not even saints shouldn't even talk about that stuff yeah. and yet that's what you can become that's that's the company that your greed leads to um, to be bare naked before the judgment seat of God with nothing in clothing. And, and that's a terrifying thing. But then he gives, I mean, this is like a, a good law gospel sermon. You know, <laughs> not that every sermon has to be, you know, just so programmatic, but this is, this is wonderful. Uh, how he says, but you, such were some of you. And he, he's getting to the fact that they've been sanctified. They've been set apart, right? So through you've been washed. Well, what is that? You've been baptized. You know, you have different. I can't remember the Greek word here. It was abelutho. Uh, 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 you know, it's 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 basically it's it's just a synonym for baptizo. So so we translate baptizo, baptize. Well, we could just translate wash because that's what they all mean. So he's talking about baptism. You've been washed. You've been you've been you've been just, justified, sanctified. Um, and and uh, and here uh, you've been set apart. Your sanctification is used not in the process of it, but as something that has happened. You've been set apart. You've been you've been declared righteous. 
and declared to be a saint in the name of Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. And then he's going to go on, and you can talk about this with the next guest, about how our bodies are then temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so here he reestablishes their status as saints um, who are set apart. And what this means then is that because they're not of this world, they don't think the way the world thinks. And so uh, I, I already mentioned this, but like in chapter 11, he says, after talking about the Lord's Supper, if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. And when we are judged, we're chastised by the Lord to keep us from being condemned with the rest of the world. Right. So, so he has that judgment in mind, but he, he brings them back to where, where their life is. And, and, you know, the blood and righteousness and reconciliation of Jesus is, is, is more than just a get out of hell free card. It's our life. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And when our life appears, then we will be found in him. And that's our hope. Um, so, you know, cast off the works of darkness because Christ, our light is coming. Yeah. That's that, that end times focus that Paul has had throughout this text. The one that we do well to keep our eyes fixed on the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, to look forward to that, to live in light of that now as we love our brother in Christ. Pastor Andrew Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, you're welcome. This is fun. Your brother in Christ is your brother, because Christ is yours. He is yours. Wouldn't you rather be defrauded than lose your brother? Keep in mind the judgment of Christ, by which you have been declared righteous through faith. So has your brother. Live in that love toward him. Do not fall into the unrighteousness of the world, but remember what Christ has done for you. He has washed you. He has sanctified you. He has justified you in his name. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. The next couple of days, we will be taking a brief break for Thanksgiving. There'll be a couple of encore episodes on Sharper Iron to talk about Thanksgiving to help us give thanks to God. And we will pick up our study of 1 Corinthians again next week. If you have any questions in the meantime on 1 Corinthians 6 or any of this wonderful epistle, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Have a very happy Thanksgiving. Talk to you again next week.